You want to experience warfare? Try committing to reading your Bible. I promise you guys. You guys say, I want to watch One Piece, the new One Piece show, in three days, and you'll be able to do it. But you say, I want to read all of Genesis and Romans and John in the next three days. That would take less time. And you'll be like, wow, I didn't get that. I don't know how that happened. And you'll find so many things, appointments, hurt, doctors, family, everybody biting for your time. It's called Spiritual Warfare 101. Welcome to H2O, you guys. We want to welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad that you're here. If you haven't been to H2O, we're just a, a body of believers here on the campus of Wright State University, pursuing them together, living life together. It's just a great community to be a part of, and we say welcome. Uh, it's exciting that you're here, and we want to get to know you. And then it's also great to see all of our friends, all of our fellow Ohana and family. So why don't you turn to somebody and say hello. Meet somebody that maybe you haven't met before. There's a couple new faces in the crowd, and so be sure to find out somebody. And then ask them what their favorite part of fall is. What is your favorite part of fall? Wow, I'm hearing more than just like your favorite part of fall. I'm hearing like short stories that go with this. This is pretty great. Well, if you're, you, if you are new here, we want to also invite you to go to the connect table. We've got a small gift for you out there. and We'd love to meet you and get to know you and get you connected in some of this community. We're going to have lots of time to actually continue to talk and fellowship today afterwards with lunch. We have canes coming in today. And so take the neighbor that you just met and invite him to eat with you later on, right? It'll be good. Well, before we dive into our chapter today, let's go ahead and lean on God for some prayer this morning. So God, we just want to thank you so much for all of our first-time guests. We thank you for our church family here gathering together at Wright State. We're thankful to be a church that has the opportunity to be on campus today, to worship you, to be encouraged and strengthened together as one in and with you. God, we ask that you would pour out your love on us, that you would guide us with your truth, and that you would empower us, Holy Spirit. We ask that for H2O, but also AIA and IFI and Crew and Chi Alpha and Christians on Campus and, and Rock Campus Fellowship, CMC, Ratio Christi, and just all the Bible studies taking place over the year on campus. God, we ask that for our co-church plant at OU, H2OU. And God, we ask that for all of our other H2O churches. We pray for our partner and surrounding churches in the Dayton area and around the world that you would use us, God, to bring revival that your kingdom come, your dream come true here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want to see revival, and it starts in our heart. So we pray today that we would not just be hearers of your word, but move to action. And lastly, God, we always want to lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters today all over the world, that you would comfort them, strengthen them, as they share and live out the gospel because you're worthy, worthy of the life that they laid down and worthy of the life that we lay down. One God, one body on mission, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, it's so good to see everyone back today. Uh, you know, all of our house churches are all over the place throughout the week, so when Ohana comes, it's super special. I love it, and we just get a fellowship. We've been going through the book of Romans uh, in house church the past couple of weeks, going deep within it. I know Bible studies have also been taking place outside of house church. It's just good to see people go into this book. It's a fantastic letter to learn what we believe, why we believe it, and really how to walk it out. It's kind of the Apostle Paul's statement of faith, written to the early church in Rome. The church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles that had already been established, but also already been facing a lot of persecution. In fact, so much persecution that Jewish believers were called to leave and go outside of Rome because there was so much discord and Christianity was turning things upside down. I mean, it was awesome. And so we see them sent out, but now they're starting to return and they're starting to return and see that these Gentile believers... They're not 
They're not necessarily following the law. They're just putting their faith in Jesus, and it's, it's causing some division in the church. And that is just the enemy's work, right? We see issues in every church, but there is an enemy well at work manipulating sinful, broken nature to divide the body of Jesus Christ. So we're in a place in Romans chapter 3, if you want to get your Bible right open in there, but where Paul is addressing our brothers and sisters about issue. The Jewish believers were stuck on the law, critically judging and condemning new Gentile Christ followers, Gentiles who are not living according to God's law. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with God's law, it's his righteous standard for living. Uh, it, is, it is the standard by which we're all going to be judged by one day. To have a right relationship with God, God said, you need to do this. But Paul ends up going on and saying that, this law is, is great, it's God's standard, but nobody measures up to it. Look at that today. And so, as Jewish believers were coming back, new Jewish Christ followers were coming back, Gentiles are living now by faith that they put in Jesus and not focusing on fulfilling the law. And we're going to read throughout some of this letter today, and it's going to roll out this beautiful exposition of God's glory, his justice, his faithfulness, his beauty, his power and love to unite the body in a unified perspective. Paul, he knows his history. He knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. Uh, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, taught under the best teachers. He knew the Old Testament. And so I believe when he wrote this letter, the division here was near and dear to his heart. Because, see, when Paul first was introduced to Jesus, he viewed Christians through the law. And by doing that, he ended up being an agent of division, critically judging Christians, not knowing God, not knowing God's love. And his life became a life that not just sought out to divide the church, but persecute and kill them. And so when Paul's looking at the early church here in Rome, I feel that when he got word of this testimony, he could see something that was, could happen. That such critical thinking, such judgmental thinking could become an agent of division. That the enemy could get in there and twist what God was doing in the lives of Jewish and Gentile believers. And so when we see him pin this out, when we see him yield to the Holy Spirit, writing this out, we're going to see just a very precise, with great precision, like a surgeon going after everything. He's presenting a case here, a legal case of our faith, of where we're at and what we're doing and who God really is. How does the law fit into this? And it, it's just a powerful letter that if we let it, if we read it and let it and just really try to ask God for understanding it, it's going to bring us to a place where we check ourselves check our lives, check our heart, our perspective, and our walk with God. Chapter 3 is where we're camping out today, and it's going to examine not the heart of an unbeliever, but those who say they follow God. It's meant to humble us today so that we can take our eyes off of ourselves and off of others and simply strengthen our faith as we focus on God. A quick review of chapter one is the world is broken. It's just broken. We need, we need a savior. Chapter two is that God has a specific people, the Jewish people, and he's worked through them. And there's, there's the law in there and what he's done through the people, but they're still broken. And so we're looking at this chapter three, really chapter two, three, and four it is him touching on a specific subject in the law called circumcision. And he's addressing this dividing issue. And if we read it, it's going to cut deep. It's going to cut to such a way that when the Jews read it back in the day, they really would have had a hard time reading this letter. A really hard time. The believer would have been, the, the Jewish believer would have almost been offended to a degree. It would take humility to listen to this letter. I don't think the Holy Spirit was wanting to crush the Jewish believer in this process. He was wanting to humble 
the believer. Humble him in their circumstance so that so they, they could see that there's much more to being a child of God than being of Jewish descent, than having a title or doing a series of works. And I think that's just a good takeaway already. It's not your family. It's not in a title. It's not in the traditions that you grew up in that made you a Christian, a Christ follower. It's your heart, your belief in Jesus Christ, and your willingness to follow him and your desire to see God change your life. It's not anything you do, but your hope and your desire and your pursuit of God, your faith in him and what he can do in your life. Amen? So let's check out Romans chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. The Holy Spirit's the best teacher. He's got the best curriculum, and it's called the Bible. So let's just go through the, the, the whole chapter together. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say, our, sinful ser- our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people to see how righteous God is. It is unfair then for him to punish us. Well, this is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But some might still argue, how can God condemn me? I'm a sinner. If my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory. And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery follow, always follow um, them. And they, know, they don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show the entire world that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But, oh man, but now God, man, anytime you see that transition, it's powerful. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. We, he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his eyes, in his sight, when they believe in Jesus. 
can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of Jews only? Isn't he also the God of Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. I don't know about you, but we could just wrap that up, call that a day. That's, that's the steak right there in the dinner. You know what I'm saying? If your highlighter doesn't run out by the time we get through Romans, like, I'm telling you, it's just, it's such a rich book. And Paul has this history here, and he's so passionate about presenting this case that people understand the law and the value of the law. That's not something that we discard, but we see it's something that Jesus fulfilled. It's not something that we ignore, but recognize that it's a standard that God desires to have a relationship with somebody, but it is only accomplished by our faith in Jesus Christ. After reading this, there's a lot of ways I could, I could have gone on this passage. I mean, you could go so many ways exegetically with this, topically with this. You could go just in so many directions with just this chapter alone. But God really laid on my heart to look at a strategy that Paul used to contend in those times where a common struggle comes into every Christian's life. And we're going to look at this, this passage and we're going to look at the obstacles specifically here. And, and, well, not circumcision necessarily, but a work being done. So the Jews said this work has to be done. They should do this if they're a believer. They should do this to receive God's love. And so I just want you to take out circumcision and put in whatever work you want. I should pray more I, I, for God to be saved. I should be out sharing Jesus more. I should be singing more. I should be reading my Bible more. I should be this. I should be this. And when I don't do it, God doesn't love me. I must not be loved by God. I must not be a Christian. It, it's, it goes all the way back to the brokenness in the garden. As soon as Adam and Eve did something wrong, they didn't turn to God and lean in to God for what they needed, even in the midst of their brokenness. They ran and hid. And on top of that, they started blaming each other. And this is what's going to come out of this time. So it's a work, it's something that we deal with with sin. I have to do this to be loved. I have to do this to be declared loved, valued. Jesus even addressed this hard issue back in John chapter 6, 28 through 29. He's on a, he's, he was already just done ministry on one side of the lake. He walks on water, does all these awesome things with his disciples, gets to the other side, and people connected with him went all the way around, and they're now meeting him on the other side of the lake. And they said, they asked him, they said, what must we do to do the works God requires? Plural, works. My dad and I was talking about this yesterday. Works. But Jesus answered them, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. See, people always want to say, works, what do I got to do? What do I got to work? Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. It's part of, it's just ingrained in our pride, ingrained in this brokenness. This is a common obstacle in every believer's heart, feeling like that you have to earn God's love. You see, circumcision is a work, the law is a series of works, and it's easy for us today to look at our, our our position with God and saying, I have to earn this love. That God doesn't love me because I'm failing. God doesn't love me because I'm falling short. That's not the case. God 
moves us to a place on the other side. See, it's easier to lean on doing works than doing what God asks. And he says to humbly deny yourselves, putting your faith in Jesus. But that, those words, humble and deny yourself, that's a, that's a hard thing for us to do in our broken nature. But what's impossible for man is possible for God. And that's why we put our faith in Jesus. I see this in high school students and university students all the time. Something called perfectionism. Where we have to do everything that is perfect. It, it, it comes, my value, my joy comes from making sure that everything is done perfect. And when it's not perfect, my world falls apart. I think all of us have struggled with that somewhere along the line. But mercy, it roots deep down in our hearts. And before we know it, this broken understanding of love infects everything around us. Working hard is a good thing. Growing and learning to do your best is an honorable thing. And it should be part of your life. We want to be excellent in all that we do. But believing that you're not loved, people will not be your friends. And even more so, God withholds his love from you because of what you do or do not do is a reality of our brokenness. God loved you before you did anything, said anything, or was even born. I think about God saying, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He died for a world. What world? The world that was at enmity with him. We were enemies of his. Rarely does someone die for a friend, but someone for their enemy? God loved you before you said anything. In fact, if we really look at Romans, uh, we, we could see that Paul is highlighting no one does good. Not even one is righteous. No one, uh, no one is righteous. In verses 10 through 18, referencing Psalms 14. Ooh, Paul defining the Bible with the Bible. Come on. No one is righteous. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. And he goes on and on and just wraps it up in Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We have a broken understanding of love. This is one of the obstacles that the enemy will magnify and tempt all believers with. Earning God's love or critically looking at others through works versus faith. Let's look at a couple examples. Maybe you're familiar with this. In our broken understanding of how we receive love or give love. Maybe it could be this, I love you if you do this for me. So you're only, but if you don't do it, you're not getting any love from here. If you haven't met my standard or done exactly the way I want it done, I'm throwing shade your way. I'm cutting off at the relationship today. You don't get it today because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. What about this? I love you if it makes me feel good. On the days that are going good, or days I feel like it, I'm going to love you. But days I'm not feeling good about it or just don't feel anything gelling, I'm just, you're not getting anything from me. Maybe I give today and it makes me feel really generous and really happy about giving today. But today I'm not doing it. Don't expect anything from me. I love you only based off of my feeling. Or how do we look at others? How can I love when we look at them and we can critically say, how can they love God? How can they love God and still do all that stuff? I can't believe they still wrestle with that after they call themselves Christians. you think they would have taken care of that by now. Those words are destructive. They're, they're poison. And you're tearing down somebody instead of building somebody up. And you're not looking at them through faith, you're looking at them through works. And Paul is addressing this because this will create a bitterness in your heart and the hearts of the church. And bitterness is a root that leads to misery and evil. There's a whole Bible study in the Bible about bitterness. Mercy. You want to avoid that. Paul is fighting against this wrong thinking of God. And he wants us to see God right. 
so that we can see ourselves and others in a right way. So today's first takeaway in strategically overcoming this this obstacle that every believer gets of addressing works over faith. I'm loved by what I do, then who I am in the eyes of God, right? Is remember that God loved a sinner, an enemy, in fulfillment of his promise in Genesis to redeem man back to a right relationship with him. Remember, this is not his promise. He's not... He's not saying, I did this just because uh, of you. I knew that you would do this. And that's true to a degree. You matter, but you're not the point, okay? The truth is, is that he promised this back in Genesis. And no matter how unfaithful humanity has been to God, God has been faithful from generation to generation. Everyone who follows God is messed up. Let it be said that God is always true by his word. He is something amazing, you guys. Amazing. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have an enemy, a wily enemy. Let me give you the definition of wily. Skilled at gaining an advantage, especially deceitfully. The Bible uses wily as a descriptive word for our enemy. And if you've ever watched the short show, A Wily Coyote and Roadrunner, I love, I love the Looney Tunes, you're going to notice something over and over and over and over in this show, that this coyote's chasing this Roadrunner, but he knows this Roadrunner for some reason. He knows the paths that this Roadrunner takes. He knows where he's going. He knows the habits. He anticipates to such a degree, it gives him plenty of time to even set up traps for this roadrunner. He knows what tempts the roadrunner, like Acme Birdseed, right? He, he's all, he knows him in and out, this coyote. And while this is just a cartoon, it's a little uncanny in how we can see our spiritual enemy at work and how he knows us. And he'll magnify that brokenness in our life. He sees that course And he says, if they don't know their word, if they don't know God's love, they're going to take this course and it'll it'll wreak havoc in their life and the life of the body. Divide, persecute, and kill. Sounds like his motto there, you know, kill, still, and destroy, right? The fruit of thinking this way, getting in this mindset of not seeing God right, leads to not seeing ourselves and others right, leads to a life of doubting, passive-aggressive living. Passive-aggressive living. I'm quickly detouring away from any truth that I don't like, that I don't understand, that I don't want to understand. Anything that's challenged me, it's a, it's a passive-aggressive life. It leads to passivity. It leads to confusion. It leads to your faith wavering back and forth and who am I? What do I believe? Like, you know who you are. But the enemy has a heyday when we don't see God right, and then we can't see ourselves right, and we can't see others right. Paul starts the specific part of Romans with God's faithfulness. Say God's faithfulness. You see, God is the one that, faith, that is faithful, not us. And we see this in Peter's life. Peter said, I love you, God. You're awesome. You're amazing. I'll follow you to death. I'll do anything, right? That sounded like me. God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And then Peter really faces some of his biggest trials, first trials. Denied Jesus. Denied Jesus. Denied Jesus. Does anybody feel that kind of failure? God, I said I'll read my Bible. God, I'm going to go share Jesus with my neighbor. God, I'm going to do this. And it's just like this repetitive sense of failure, right? Now, did Jesus look at Peter the third time he denied him and say, well, one of my closest dudes, my, one of my best friends here on earth, one of my closest followers, one of my leaders here just abandoned me, so I don't think I'm not going to the cross. Since, 
Since you didn't do that, I don't, I'm not going to do that. That's not Jesus' love. Jesus looked at him in the eyes and continued to go forward. He looked at him. Peter knew it. He left and wept. Do we see Peter saying, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm giving up on my faith. I guess I'm just not worthy to be somebody that God called me to be. No. We see him stay steadfast in truth, steadfast holding on to what he knew Jesus said. And by the time he winds up at the end of his life, the end of his journey, the end of his race here on earth, he's not the Peter that kept stumbling and falling. He goes to the, his own cross, crucified upside down. This is the journey of our faith if we remain steadfast. You'll look like Peter in the beginning, but you'll also see yourself looking like him at the end. It is not something you just give up on and passively, aggressively walk this line called Christianity and end up being lukewarm. And this is how we can avoid the wily trap of the enemy that he sets for all of us. This is how we can avoid when our thoughts spiral out of control and divide the way we see things. This is what we can do when our, we're uncertain of ways or doubting, have doubting moments. We can go back to truth like verse 4. God is true. As the scriptures say about him. As what? Scriptures. But if you don't know what the scripture says, how will you know he's true? How do you know what is true? You can't take my word from it, you guys. This is why we emphasize house church. You got, it, it gets you to a place where you're pursuing the word. You're asking Holy Spirit to teach you. Because if you're leaning on me to spoon feed you every Sunday and you're not out there learning yourself, you can't get to heaven and say, my pastor said this. My mom and dad said this. Well, I've read a, a, a book and heard a podcast that said this. It's going to come back down to the Bible. What do you know about God's word? That's what it comes down to, you guys. And you, won't you want to experience warfare? Try committing to reading your Bible. I promise you guys. You guys say, I want to watch One Piece, the new One Piece show, in three days, right? And you'll be able to do it. But you say, I want to read uh, all of Genesis and Romans and John in the next three days. And you'll be like, and it takes just as, like, that would take less time. And you'll find so many things, appointments, hurt, doctors, family, everybody biting for your time. And you're like, wow, I didn't get that. I don't know how that happened. It's called spiritual warfare 101. You have to know it. Learn the word through the lens of Jesus. Paul knew the word, but he didn't know it through the lens of Jesus. Know Jesus. Study first Jesus. How he walked it, lived it, said it. His, life, his birth, his life, his ways, his death, his resurrection. Know him so you could define and properly interpret the rest of the Bible and be swept off your feet as you pursue to know him. This is not your academic algebra, calculus, you know, chemistry textbook. This is a love letter. This is a, a map. This is a treasure that God's given you. Takeaway number two for everyday victorious living is to know the power of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul emphasizes faith. He's, he's going to hammer on it more and more as we get through the book of Romans. But he's really introducing this, this concept. Uh, and it's not a new concept, but he's going to present his case of how strong and powerful faith is and faith in Jesus specifically that if we exercise our faith in Christ, living daily with a drive based not on who you are or who you are not, not on what you can or can't do, but in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, can do, wants to do in your life as you put faith in him every day. God's looking for people who weather the storms, the daily storms, and remain steadfast and look at them. I love Romans 3.23. It shares that God is only, it shares it is only what God has done for you that you are made right in his sight. 
Why not master in that? Master in the basics, you guys, and the rest will fall in place the rest of your life. No more, no less. Our work is to believe on the one God has sent and to follow him. This is a right view of God. This is where our faith is strengthened. It's strengthened, and it needs to be strengthened. Faith is not for the faint of heart. It is a hard thing to develop, and it is something that you're growing like a baby learning to walk. There's going to be a lot of falls, a lot of bumps, a couple bruises, maybe a little bleeding, maybe a concussion. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Depends on how baby-proof your house is. It's, it's going to be quite the journey. And so we're going to grow in this, and God provides both the power and the grace to grow in this. It's not by our ability, but it's by our focus, our work on believing in Jesus every step of the way. My dude, Tasia, he, we were in our international house church on Wednesday, and he brought up this awesome concept of faith, this revelation that God gave him. He said, faith is not measured by a measuring cup. It's measured by distance. It's like, that's interesting. He said, look at Peter. Peter got out of the boat, and his faith could be measured by distance coming to Jesus. He said, and I was just like, what? This is crazy awesome. It's so true. At first, our faith can only take so far. We're babies in our faith. It needs to be developed. And what happened when the waves and the wind came? He was focused on Jesus first, yes, but then the wind and the waves came and he sank and he fell and he had to get back up. And Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. That's like me picking up Griffin or Shepherd when they were learning to walk and say, buddy, you can't walk yet. You're just not strong enough, but you're getting there, right? A measure of faith. The more he remained steadfast and focusing on Jesus the rest of his life, his faith took him further and further the distance, right? Takes you the distance. I feel like I have to share this with some of you guys today. When I was praying and going over this, and God wants to tell you, don't be afraid of failing. He knew that that would happen. Don't be disturbed about not, or don't be disturbed about failing, but be disturbed about not getting back up, giving up, writing off your commitment, going back to living comfortably but empty. Jesus said in Matthew 11, the kingdom of God is taken by forceful advance. This is a passionate zeal, a devotion to win a race with courage, unwavering faith, determination, and endurance like a soldier's committed to their king. But both the athlete and the soldier that I reference and the Bible references, they don't start off as an all-star athlete or the, the veteran soldier. They don't start off that way. They grow they endure, they commit to what they believe in, they hope for something greater, and it drives them. They trust for their future in their coaches. We trust in our future for G with, through Jesus, with Jesus. Stay the course, my brothers and sisters. And that is takeaway number two. Last takeaway, quickly, is our life should look different as we follow Jesus. It really should. We talk about this in the well and I love it because, you know, growing up, there's mile markers about maturity in life. And I can speak from a guy that as soon as my voice got all crackly and stuff like that, you know, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm maturing, right, into this, this baritone, right? And I wish it was more very white, but it's not. But anyways, you know, you know that as soon as it starts crackling, something's happening. And then that first long, wiry hair is my beard, my first beard. Like, I'm maturing, Okay. It's getting there. There are mile markers in our life that say you are maturing as a human being. You know, you, you graduate school, then you learn to drive, then you might go to college or you might start getting trained for a job. Uh, you're paying bills. There are mile markers of your responsibilities and your maturity. But where is that when you go to church? How do you know you're growing versus just being a spoon-fed baby the, your whole life in church? How? Well, in the well, we have this thing, like the Bible talks about baby Christians, young adult Christians, mature Christians, and even parent Christians. There are mile markers that God gives us, and we should look different as we grow in each one.
We want to. But if we're not growing and our life's not looking any different, it's still looking the same way we said yes to Jesus five years ago, and we're still living our life that way, and they're like, yeah, I love Jesus. He's my Savior. Like, really? Like, I'm not judging by your actions, but like, I don't see anything that you're doing. Like, where, where's the fruit? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Not by, you don't obey to have faith. You see, let me clearly lay this out. I don't obey God to earn his love. I obey God because he loves me. That is a common part in life. I obey those I love and respect. My wife and I, my babylicious babe, we mutually submit to one another. She says, do something. I'm like, yep, I'll do that. Got it right away, babe. I do that with my mentors, Matt and Daryl, Matt Party and Daryl Phillips. If he says jump, I say how high. He says, run, I say, how far? You know what I'm saying? I love and I respect them. Mentors in my life. We do that with parents. How much more so with God? Now, I didn't do that because Matt and Daryl or my wife or my parents, I'm not doing that to earn their love. They already love me. That came out of my relationship with them. In fact, the more I got to know them, the more I yielded and obeyed. How much more so God? None of them come close to God. And I can't boast about what I do. I can't boast about what I've done that has saved me. My faith in the grace of God, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I look different because I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm learning his ways because he moves my heart every day. My life would be radically different without Jesus. It would be depressing, you guys. I would be a drug addict, an alcoholic. I'd be in a wheelchair. I probably would have committed suicide by now, like wrestled with that. God set me free from all these things. Womanizer wouldn't have the marriage, the family that I have today. Like these are all things God has rescued me from, but not by my own living, but by me trusting in a loving God who loved me first and right where I was at, meeting me right where I was at. Developing a right view of God, you'll be able to love God, you'll be able to love others, and you'll be able to love yourself with freedom. Freedom. This is Paul's strategy. This is what he's breaking down. No matter what obstacle you face, circumcision today, yes, but else later tomorrow, whatever that works-based thing is, I need you to know that you are loved by God, not based off of what you do, but based off of what he did. So I'm going to conclude, you guys, with this, that Paul is writing something that looks very much like court case presentation here. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know through this letter to the Romans that God is faithful to save, but he's also a good, good judge. Humanity is kind of on trial. And Paul is sharing that no one has an excuse. And you may say, man, Josh, like Paul was pretty intense. Well, those weren't his words. Those are what the Holy Spirit was leading him to say. You're really like, I don't murder. I don't speak venom to people. You know, like I'm not that leading people to misery and destruction and stuff like that. I'm not leading anybody anywhere. Reality check. Jesus said, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. If you're not gathering people towards him, you're scattering them towards death, which is depressing, depressing, misery, destruction. We love this guy named Ray Cooper around here. He does all this great, like, he's a street evangelist, and we use some of his material even here on campus. And we, he, he states, we love to measure our good, how good we live. You ask most people, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. By what standard? We like to measure our standard by everybody else, the world. And he goes on to say, let's just look at God's standard, just for a minute. Not my standard, I'm not judging you, but if God were to judge you today, let's just look at his standard and see where you measure up. And the first thing, one of the first questions he asks is, have you ever told a lie? And you don't have to say this out loud, but have you ever told a lie? Yeah. Well, what does that make you? A liar. The Bible says that Satan is the father of all lies. Not the big lies, just the big lies, all lies. 
What about, have you ever um, looked at somebody with lust? It's kind of funny because I was watching one of the videos and this one dude was like, every day, you know? Like, it's a struggle, right? Jesus said that if you looked at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. See, God's looking at the heart, where it comes from. He says, have you ever hated somebody? And some people are like, no, I've never hated anybody. But some people will say, I've hated somebody. I've told people I've hated them, right? He says, if you've hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. It's the action. It's, it's there. One other question. It's not even all the, all the law. He just asked these couple questions. The last question he asked is, have you ever used God's name as a curse word? Like a knee-jerk reaction saying the name of Jesus Christ, just as as a knee-jerk reaction of a surprise or upset about something or just using God's name in vain. And I love how he breaks this down. He's like, do you love your mom? Most people are like, yeah, I love my mama. I'm a mama's boy, you know, right? I love my mama. He's like, would you ever use your mom's name to curse somebody? Would you ever use her to, as a knee-jerk reaction, just her name, an expression of, like, disgust or upsetness? Well, no. Well, how can you use the name of the one who gave you your mom? It's called blasphemy. And the enemy deceives us and lets us use God's name, convinces us that's an acceptable name to use. You know, back in the day, people would write down the name of God and throw away the pen as soon as they finished writing out the name of God. Do we fearfully use that name carefully in our life or carelessly? Well, he said, if you fall... if in a court of law, on trial, if you've done any of this, would you be innocent or guilty? Would you be a good person or a guilty person? And most people would say, I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. Even if it was just one thing, you've broken the law. And you're like, it's just one thing. How God's so loving. He's so loving. He'll let me in. But as soon as he lets you in, he wouldn't be a good judge. He's a good judge, you guys. He loves you, but he's a good judge judge. No matter how much love he has for you, he would no longer be a good judge if he just let you in. But here's the thing, the good news. If someone comes and pays your fines, he can legally let you go. Jesus. And that's Paul's case, Anthony, that we're guilty, and the law of God has shown us what our, by, by that standard we're being judged. But the gospel or the good news is that Jesus, who has lived out the law perfectly, has paid our fine. He took death, the death sentence we earned. And when we believe in him, we get a new life, a new opportunity, a new identity, saying yes to him today. And you can do that today. This is good news for me, and this is good news for you today. And I don't know where you are with your walk with God or your spirituality or what you're seeking or how you're seeking out, but if you haven't heard this good news today, I know you know something's off. And the, and the Bible will make it very clear. And you can say today, you can, maybe you're doing that right now in your heart. I want this relationship with God. I see, I value my life, not just here on earth, but for all of eternity. And if Jesus is the way I'm rescued, I want to know how and what that looks like in my life. And if you make that decision today, I want you to come and connect with me or someone at the connect table. We love to celebrate with you. And we're going to get you connected into a community and just show you those next steps on how to grow in that relationship with God. We want to eventually raise you up and send you out. Hallelujah, everybody. Yeah, that's just the way what we do. We love you and we're for you. But even more so, God loves you and he's for you. So make that relationship today. Let it be personal. As the band comes up, I'd like to talk to all of our other ohana and people. Maybe you've heard this word before and something resonates in your heart. Maybe you're caught up with a wrong view of God today. Maybe you've put that on yourself or on somebody else. And it's time to repent, my brothers and sisters. It's time to repent. I love repentance. We call it the four R's around here. All right, we just did this on Thursday, Matt and Anna. Everybody let it out so well. R number one is simply repent. God, I'm so sorry. I'm having this stinking thinking between my heart and my head. I can't change it. I need your help. I'm sorry 
forgive me. Next R. You could be writing this down. You better write it down. I don't have it up there. Next R is receive God's forgiveness. He, loves, he, he, he wants to forgive you. Don't hide in the darkness. Bring it to the light. Receive God's forgiveness. Third thing is rebuke the sick puke called the enemy, Satan, and say, get out of here. Your lies, no. You know how Jesus refuted the enemy's lies? was with Scripture. Like, I recognize this. This is a lie. You can't tell me that I'm not earning God's love. You can't tell me God's withholding his love because of this. You can't tell me that because he loved me before I was even doing any of it. I know the truth. I might be growing, and I might be falling seven times, but I'm getting back up seven times as well by his grace. So you could rebuke the enemy, then the final thing is replace it with truth. The truth that you are a child of God. He loves you infinitely and intimately, that he loved you before, while you were still a before you said yes, and that you see him right and others right, and that you know the love of God, and you're going to show other people the love of God. Replace it with the truth. Replace it with scripture. We have communion during these next couple of worship songs that the team's going to bring, and I want to invite you to make communion during this time very personal. Always give thanks to God. Jesus said, when you eat the bread, remember his body. He sacrificed it freely. It's the payment for our sin. He gave it freely to you out of love. Remember his blood poured out and the precious life that he gave to give you eternal life. He died for you guys. He died for me. And I'll never fully understand, like, I just can't comprehend that kind of love. It's amazing. It's awesome. But it will humble you. It will stir gratitude in you. And it will light a fire in your heart to live a life with him. This is a simple sacrament, simple but sacred opportunity to connect with God, you guys. It's nothing special in it. It's your heart with God that's special. And when you do it, it's powerful. So go back there, do that. Remember his body was broken for you, his blood shed for you, his life given, that you can have eternal relationship with him. We love you guys. We're praying for you. Be blessed, represent, and let's worship because he's worthy. 